If you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. I'd like to ask you a question this morning, and the question is this, are you willing to get out of your tent? Are you willing to get out of your tent? Exodus chapter 17, we're going to begin reading down in verse number 9. The Bible says this, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out. Fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat there on an Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady into the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisai. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being back here Bible Baptist, I thank you for a faithful pastor. I thank you for a church that has a heart for missions, a heart for souls, as I have seen evidence by the bus ministry and the emphasis on handing out gospel tracts. And I pray that it will be so until the trumpet sounds or until you call each of us home. Lord, I pray you'll work this morning in this Sunday school hour, and I pray that you will challenge our hearts to be willing to get out of our tents. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It was May of 1996, and there were three different groups that were attempting to summit Mount Everest. It was too many groups for such a small time. There was a group led by a man from Washington, a group led by a man from New Zealand by the name of Rob Hall, and a group that was there from the IMAX Film Corporation that was going to film the attempt at the summit. Well, the group from the IMAX Film Corporation was smart enough to realize there would be too many people on the mountain at one time. For you see, as you seek to summit Mount Everest, there are many places where you could only go single file. Whether you're going up or down, you could only go one at a time. They say, with that many people, that's going to be a problem. Because if you're up there too long, you have a problem. There's sort of a drop dead time, about 12, 1 o'clock, where you have to head back, even if you're 500 feet from the top, you need to head back because in the afternoon, winds come up at the top of Mount Everest at over 29,000 feet is in the area where you get jet streams. If you fly internationally at all, you know that if you get in the jet stream, you can get from one continent to another maybe two hours more quickly. If you're going against the jet stream, it's much slower. So it's a turnaround time. So the guy from the IMAX Film Corporation, and I've read a book that he wrote about this, and three different books of this event said, we're not going. Well, sure enough, they got up there. They couldn't really see what was going on up the top of the mountain. But finally, the clouds broke, and he said, man, there's people still heading for the top. It was 3 and 4 o'clock. He said, they're going to be in trouble. And they were. If you'd like to read an amazing book about that, the book is entitled Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Sports Illustrated said it was one of the 10 greatest adventure books ever written. Well, I'll tell you what happened. They got stuck on the mountain. 
both of the guides, the man from Washington and Rob Hall from New Zealand, died on the mountain. And the climbers who played, paid from sixty dollars to $80,000 apiece to attempt the summit. Think about that. That's what they paid to be a part of the group. We're up there without a guide. One of the men who was one of the paid helpers of the group was a man by the name of Anatoly Bukharev. He was a Russian. I've read his book. He has since died in an avalanche in another climb. Anatoly decided to summit without oxygen. Imagine. He'd become acclimated, and he just went ahead of everybody, summited, and passed them coming down, and made it back, and collapsed into his tent, took off his crampons, laid there on his sleeping bag, tried to build the strength back up again. Then someone came to his tent. They said, Anatoly, Anatoly. He said, there are people up in the mountain, and they're not moving. Remember, he'd already been at the top and come back. He was exhausted. He said, okay. He put his crampons back on. He put his oxygen on. He grabbed an extra bottle of oxygen. And he went over to the other tents where the Sherpas were. These were paid Nepalese who were helping to work on the hike and the ascent to the summit. He said, we've got to go back up and get these people. They're not moving. And the Sherpas said, no. We've already done what we were paid for. We weren't paid to go up twice. And they stayed in their tents. So Bukhariv went out by himself and went up and began to bring people back one at a time. He was able to save a number of lives. By the way, only one person that was on the mountain that day made it back by himself. His glove had come off. They had to amputate his fingers. His nose had to be cut off. Parts of his cheeks from the freezing of his cheeks. One man made it in on his own. But everyone else, someone had to go out and bring them in. I'm so glad that we have people like the gardeners, the Wilkerson's, the flowers that are willing to go out and bring people in. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. By the way, we were saved in the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't think anyone here was saved in Jerusalem, Judea, or Samaria. I'm glad somebody went and told the good news. This morning in the study school hour, I want to share with you something that I hope will challenge you in this regard. It's how to help your family, your church, and your missionaries go on to greater victories. I don't know about you, but I don't like losing. Uh, I have always been a little bigger than most people. You probably can't tell from your vantage point. I was born on Mother's Day, May the 12th, 1957. I was my mother's first child. I was a horrible Mother's Day present. I weighed 11 pounds and 6 ounces. Mull that over for a little while. She reminded me of that many times. <laughs> she had six more children. It was very easy after that. <laughs> Can I say this? I am grateful 
for the man who led my father to the Lord. He was the first Christian in his family. I'm a second-generation Christian. My children are third-generation Christians. I wonder who it is that God wants us to help to become a first-generation Christian. Thank you for being willing to go out and carry gospel tracts and tell the good news. Thank you for supporting a bus ministry. Thank you for supporting missions. But what will we need to do to help our church, our family, and our missions go on to greater victory? Look at the passage, if you will. We see in verse 19, we find out that Israel is fighting with Amalek. The Amalekites were staunch opponents of the people of God. And by the way, sometimes you have to fight. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, with the cross before us ever as before. Are we willing to go forward and fight? The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. That means, ladies and gentlemen, we're on the offensive. I think sometimes they say, well, I'm just going to hold on until the Lord comes. No. God's word says to occupy till I come. To go forward. To take ground. God has something he wants us to do. Just go out and fight. Well, the people went out to fight. Led by Joshua. Later on, the second leader of Israel. But look with me, if you will, at verse number 10. And it says that Moses... Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It's found there in verse number 10. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to go on to greater victories, whether it's with our family, our church, or missions, we're going to have to be willing to go uphill. Can I tell you a little secret? It's a lot harder going uphill than it is going downhill. I was reading a book of the plane on the way here that dealt with the plane crash. I was thinking about it later. That's probably not the best book to have read. There's one book written about this plane crash called Alive by Piers Paul Reed. It dealt with a Uruguayan team that crashed to the Andes Mountains. It's an amazing story. And two men literally walked out of the mountains. They had no winter clothing. Amazing story. to help them get help. Took them seven days to walk out. Remarkable. They were up 17,000 feet high, not acclimated. Many people died. Of course, they had no food. They resorted to eating the bodies of the people who died. Amazing story. But it reminded me again of how hard it is to climb. You know, when you climb Mount Everest, I always thought, well, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, and I read about these books by Bukhareev and others, I thought, well, you leave early in the morning. You don't leave early in the morning. You leave about 10 o'clock the night before. And when you get to Mount Everest, you have to get acclimated. In fact, if you were set down by a helicopter at the top of Mount Everest without being acclimated, you'd be dead in 10 to 15 minutes. Of course, a helicopter can't fly that high. But if you were, you would be dead. No, you have to get used to the limited amount of oxygen. The oxygen level there is approximately 25% of what it is at sea level. So they go up to about 16,000 feet. They stay there for a while. Then they'll make a climb up to base camp one. They'll come back down. Then they'll climb up to camp two and come back down. 
Then they'll move up to Camp 1. Then they'll make the climb to Camp 2. Then Camp 3. And Camp 4. And Camp 4 is way up on the mountain. You only spend one night there. It's so hard to sleep. It's so cold. And being that cold, it's so easy to get dehydrated. They need to drink gallons of water a day so they'll get dehydrated. But they leave at 10 o'clock at night. Because to go from Camp 4, that last 15 or 1,600 feet, takes about 14 hours. 14 hours. By the way, to go from the summit of Mount Everest back to Camp 4, takes about four hours. It's much easier going down than it is to go up. Are we still trying to attain heights for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we still trying to climb forward for the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a number of folks here that have had the ability to retire, and I congratulate you. That's a wonderful thing. But can I say this? While we can retire from our occupation, we should never retire from our avocation, which is to serve the Lord. Let's keep on keeping on. God did not save us to sit. He saved us to serve. You say, I can't even walk without a walker. You can pray. I wonder how many of your missionaries, have you just sent an email and said, I prayed for you today. You're one of my missionaries of the week. And try to encourage them. Most of us with a smartphone, it cost us nothing. We used to have to buy a foreign letter. It would cost $1.15. We're kind of tissue thin. The write of a letter. Now we can just send them an email. There's something everybody can do. Some need to be willing to go. All need to be willing to pray. And all need to be willing to give. We see they set out from the top. My pastor's office is on the third floor. 90% of the time, I try to take the stairs up to his office. You know why? I know it's good for me. It's good for me to climb those stairs. My wife, when we're in hotels, we travel together probably 100 days a year now that we're empty nesters and our kids are all grown and in different parts of the country or the world. She'll often exercise inside the hotel. I might go for a walk and read and walk or use an elliptical, but she'll... Climb the stairs in the hotel because it's good for us. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's good for us to set out for the top as a Christian. The best-selling Christian book of all time outside of the Word of God itself is called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. In this allegorical novel, he tells a story about Pilgrim or Christian who's on his way uphill going towards that celestial city whose ruler and builder is God. And when he was going uphill, he was going the right way. There were times he was tempted and drawn away. It looked more comfortable there. It was easier going downhill. And it always is. He went downhill. He found the men who were called the muckrackers. That was a word created by John Bunyan. We think of it as journalists today. We're so easily distracted from our uphill journey to see the ruler, the builder, and our king, the Lord Jesus Christ.
If we're going to go on to victory, number one, we have to set out for the top. We have to be willing to go uphill. Secondly, if you look down a little bit further, the Bible says this in verse number 12. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. I have had the privilege of being in the country of Israel, and it is a very hot country. It's different from Florida. It's not a humid heat. It's a dry heat. It's a desert heat. With temperatures in the summertime, they can reach 105, 110 degrees. Down by the Dead Sea, even hotter than that. Imagine standing at the top of a mountain. I have no doubt the top of that mountain was barren. That there were no trees there. And the Bible says in verse number 11, when he held up his hands, let me read it exactly to you here. When he held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Well, he could figure that out pretty quickly. Hey, when I hold my hands up, things are going well. This is wonderful. But you imagine sitting there in the sun all day long, beating on him, trying to hold his hands up. And Aaron and Hur said, we want to give him some support. And the Bible says they did something about it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing to see a need. It's another thing to do something about the need. One of the little adages we teach students at West Coast Baptist College, and we're so glad to have Trent and Bryn there. They've had a great spirit actually had them in my home for a meal within the last, I see, a week ago Tuesday, they were there for a meal. Ren can knock it down. No, I'm just kidding you. Could you imagine trying to keep your hands up the whole time? Well, we had those students over, we had chairs for them. We tried to socially distance a little bit. Brought in some folding chairs, put them in the living room. There's have a big dining room table there. But when I sit down, being that I am six foot six, 200 and none of your business pounds, <laughs> I usually like to look at the item I'm sitting on. The chairs that are white plastic that you can buy for $5 at Walmart, I do not sit on them. Now, they would usually hold me up, but I had a bad experience one time. I did not know that if you left plastic in the sun, the plastic degrades. I was preaching in New York at the Hudson View Baptist Church, close to the Hudson River, a church that was largely Filipino, and it was just a great service, except for the fact there was no air conditioner. It was hot. It was July. And the kids sang. We preached. They just preach you. That went on. Finally, it was over. I remember it was hard to get my tie off my neck. It was so wet. But they said, now we're going to have a Filipino dinner. It's down in the basement. And I like Filipino food. I like pasta, chicken adobo, and lumpia. I was excited. I went down there, and the basement was cooler. Glory to God. I took my coat off, kind of loosened my tie a little bit. And I saw that chair over the court. I went and sat in that chair. Not knowing it was an old chair. Not knowing it had been out in the sun. And all of a sudden, one of those legs just exploded. <laughs> and I went falling down on the ground. My wife, being a mercy giver, ran over. She said, are you okay, sweetheart? I said, yes. And then she started laughing. <laughs> that was not encouraging. 
Aaron and her, I'm sure using their staves, dug around this large stone. They didn't go up there with trenching tools or shovels. They dug and dug until they could rock it loose, and they rolled it over where Moses could sit on it. If he could sit on it, it wasn't a fist-sized stone. Oh, it's easy to get a fist-sized stone to help. But you get a stone that someone can sit on? I am not the type of person, if I'm looking for something to sit on, I don't say, oh, good, here's a cardboard box for me to sit on. It would soon be, as they would say, broken down. Are you setting out stones for your pastor? For the choir leader? For the Sunday school superintendent? Are you setting out stones? There's a great preacher who pastored for years at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. His name was Dr. Bobby Robertson. He pastored that church for over 60 years. He made one statement that I think applies to every single believer. He said the one thing that every Christian can do is we can be in our place. We can be in our place. I do not know what your place is, but I challenge you to be there. I challenge you to be there. Praise God that one of the buses this morning brought in 45 people, I believe I saw. It wouldn't have happened if the bus driver wasn't there. I don't know who that man was, but he was in his place. The bus captain was in his place. So if we're going to go on to greater victories, we have to set out for the top. Secondly, we need to set out some stones. Let's look down a little further in this passage. And then it says this, and he sat there on, verse 12, it continues, and Aaron and her stayed up his hands. The word stayed is an old English word, which means literally to lift up or to hold up. Madam, I'm going to have you come up here for just a minute. I'm going to let you be Moses. I know it's a bit of a reach, but we're going to let him be Moses, okay? I want you to hold your hands up, Matt. Now imagine Matt's holding up his hands and he gets to sit down on a rock eventually, but he's done that for half an hour, an hour. And remember, he knows what happens when he puts them down. When he puts them down, the Amalekites begin to prevail. He's got to hold them up. And Aaron and her said, you know what? We've got to help him. So it says they stayed up his hands. Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret. When you stay up somebody's hands, you've got to get close. I've got long arms. I have long arms and short legs. My sleeve length is 37 inches. I'm built very similar to an orangutan. Okay, so <laughs> my son, who is six feet tall, has the same inseam on his pants that I do, 32 inches. So he was a fast runner. He was only six feet tall. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I am a slow runner. People with long legs could usually run faster. Many of you would remember Carl Lewis, the great Olympian, won medals in four Olympics over 16 years. It seemed like his legs started just below his armpits. I mean, he had long legs. <laughs> now, I can reach out and touch Matt right now. I'm close enough to touch him. But ladies and gentlemen, I am not close enough to support him. So I'm close to my pastor. I can reach out and touch him. But have you prayed for him? Have you texted him, let him know you're praying for him? Hey, if you had cancer on your ear, would you want someone praying for you? Would you appreciate getting a card? 
I didn't bring a get well card with me. I didn't know about Pastor Lytel until yesterday. We went to Walmart to get him a get well card. You know why? I want to stamp his hands. So when you stamp hands, you've got to get in close. Maybe I'd hold it like this for a while. If it's all day, maybe I'd have to hold it like this for a while. Oh, by the way, when you're this close, you might be aware of someone's imperfections. <laughs> like that little hair he's got growing out of his ear. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. By the way, if it's that hot, you think they might be sweating? Band Roland had not been invented yet. I'm going, <laughs> But if you're going to stay up the hands, you're going to be there. You're going to hold them up. You want to lift one another's burdens. Are you bearing burdens with someone in the church? Are you bearing burdens of someone in your family? We got to our hotel last night. My wife ironed three white shirts and three suits. I was studying my messages. She was bearing my burdens. We'll celebrate our 40th anniversary this May. She's been bearing burdens for me for a long time. They set out from the top. They set out a stone. And they stayed up his hands. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. But that wasn't all. There was one more thing that was incredibly important to do in order for there to be victory. What will be important for you to do to have victory in your family, in your church, and in your missions outreach? We find it here in this passage. It says this, and his hands were steady, listen now, until the going down of the sun. They were there for the whole day. The whole day. Work for the night is coming. Night cometh when no man can work. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad pastored the same church for over 50 years. He passed away this last August at the age of 91. I miss him. For years, every Monday night, I would drive about 80 miles down to his home, spend about an hour and a half with him, and drive 80 miles back. My wife would teach a cooking class on Monday nights. We just planned for me to do that. That was the months I was in town. I would usually be in California about eight months a year. I enjoyed that. I wrote him every week. I've written him every week for decades. I called him every week. Can I say this? I can no longer do any of those things. He's gone. We want to set out for the top, set out stones, stay up hands, and stay faithful while we can. Because someday, the trumpet will sound, and we which are alive to remain will meet him in the air. If not that, God will call us home. I preached a funeral three weeks ago. 
None of us knows the time or the place. And since we do not know that time or the place, can I challenge you today to be willing to get out of your tent? I'll repeat this several times during this conference, and some need to be willing to go. But all need to be willing to pray and to give. One great missionary, as he left, said, will you hold the ropes? Will you hold the ropes? How do we hold the ropes for those who are in foreign fields? We support them financially, and we lift them up in prayer. I teach the auditorium Sunday school class at Lancaster Baptist Church, and we have a missionary of the week, and I give them the email. You've got a great missions board out here. It'd be so easy to find the emails. I don't know how many missionaries you support. Does anyone know how many missionaries you support here? Total? Close to 100. If you did two a week, you'd pray for them all once a year and send them an email. I hope you'll pray for them more than once a year. But to email them once a year and let them know you're praying for them. I don't know Brother Flowers well, but he's one of our missionaries. I've emailed him and said, I'm praying for you. I want to hold the ropes through prayer. I want to hold the ropes through giving. I don't know how you support your missionaries here. If you do faith promise giving or you just give through your budget, you give faith promise giving, which I think is a great way to do it. My wife and I, as part of our budget, we give to missions. Now, our daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren, we give a separate offering for them every month. We want to support them, their family. But we want to support all our missionaries. So can I challenge you as you go to this week, ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to get out of my tent? Maybe there's a teenager here who will say, Lord, I think you're calling me to go to another country. Maybe there's an adult here who says, I want to do more for, more for missions. And maybe it's everyone here who says, with God's help, with God's help, I'm going to make our missionaries a serious part of my prayer life. I'll tell you a little secret. That which gets scheduled gets done. My wife has a prayer book. It's like a photo album. She has several hundred missionary prayer cards. Her day to do that is Sunday morning. She'll go through that album and pray for missionaries. Have a time. Have a place. And ask the Lord to help you to get out of your tents in order to help your family, your church, and your missionaries to go on to greater victories. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that are contained therein. Lord Jesus, I pray that for our having been here in this place, this Sunday through Wednesday, that we will draw closer to you. And Lord, I pray specifically that we will be a little bit closer 
to being the Christians that you would have us to be. I pray we will obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. And we will live with eternity's values in view. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.